Several years ago, I had the opportunity to travel to India to preach and teach uh, in the state of Gujarat and just fell in love uh, with the Indian people. But as I was considering uh, going on this trip, I, I realized that uh, I was going to have to do something in order to be able to function over there. Uh, India had its own currency. Um, and I wasn't going to be able to just take the U.S. dollar and use that everywhere that I went. And so when I arrived at the International Terminal in San Francisco, uh, I went to a place uh, called a currency exchange booth. And man, it, it was kind of an interesting thing to see because you could trade for any kind of currency that you wanted. You could get the, the British pound, you could get the Japanese yen, you could get the Mexican peso, you could get the Norwegian kroner, the Swiss franc, uh, the Venezuelan bolivar, uh, all of these different kinds of currencies that you could exchange uh, your cash for. Um, but none of those would have helped me uh, because I was going to India. And in order to effectively function in that economic system, I needed to trade for the Indian rupee. That is if I wanted a place to sleep or I wanted to be able to buy food while I was there or to be able to get around. And so uh, I went to the currency exchange booth and I made my exchange and man, it was an awesome exchange because at that time you could get 40 rupees for the dollar. So I gave them $125, walked out with 5,000 Indian rupees and felt like I was the richest man in the world. But here's the deal, even though I had to pay a fee in order to exchange the money. I had to do it because I knew without the right currency, I could not function in that country. Listen, right now, all of us are missing gathering together each week for worship due to the COVID-19 reality that we're all living with. And I can't tell you how excited I am that two weeks from today, we're gonna be gathering at the City Foundry for our celebration services. Stay tuned for more information about that. But I'm just thinking about how we all long together. We, we want to be together for worship. And I wonder what it must feel like to have a passionate desire to worship, to, to want to pursue God, to, to want to gather together with other uh, believers and, and to make your way to a house of worship only to be turned away because you don't have the right currency. You're probably thinking that that would never happen. There is no house of worship that would refuse a worshiper over the type of money that they have in their pocket. But it happened in Israel and it was still happening during the life and the ministry of Jesus. If you look at the law of Moses, especially in Exodus chapter 30, you'll discover that very clearly the Israelite males who were 20 years of age and older were required to pay a Jewish half shekel into the treasury every single time that the people were numbered. Even those males that were considered poor were required to pay that. And eventually it seems like this evolved into uh, an annual fee that they had to pay into the temple fund and it could only be paid using 
the Jewish half shekel. No other currency would be accepted. And so if you didn't have the right currency, you were out of luck. And a lot of people that would come to the temple might not have the right currency because maybe they traveled in from another place. Maybe they were proselytes that were coming in and they wanted to go to the temple. And so they didn't have what they needed. And so what they would do is they would go to the money exchangers in the temple courts and they would pay a fee so that they could get the required half shekel. Over time, of course, the money changers started charging exorbitant fees. They were becoming more and more wealthy by taking advantage of the poor. In fact, people also had to exchange money in order to purchase sacrifices or other kinds of offerings that they were going to give into the temple treasury. And every time a transaction was completed, the money changers grew richer and richer. In fact, the corruption was so widespread in Jesus' day that he simply couldn't take it anymore. And in fact, on two different occasions, Jesus tore through the court of the Gentiles and its porches in an attempt to restore the temple to God's original intention. Let me give you a couple of these examples because one happened at the beginning of his ministry and then one happened again near the end of his ministry. In the first one in John chapter 2 verses 15 and 16, it says that he uh, drove all of them out of the temple uh, with the sheep and the oxen and he poured out the changers money and he overturned the tables and he said to those who sold doves, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. In the later Uh, illustration of this near the end of his ministry in Matthew chapter 21. It says that he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. In the first case, he says, this is what the house of God is not supposed to be. It's not supposed to be a market. It's not supposed to be about what you can get out of it in terms of a, an exorbitant financial transaction. In the second one, Jesus tells them what it is supposed to be, a house of prayer. But all of that commotion was directly related to the demand that one and only one currency could be utilized in the house of worship, in the temple of God. It didn't matter if you were rich. It didn't matter if you were poor. You had to come up with the Jewish half shekel to fulfill the law of God. So that begs the question, what happens if you simply don't have it? So just for a moment, I want you to imagine yourself as a Jewish male and you're making the obligatory journey to Jerusalem and it's time to go to the temple. It's time to pay the temple tax. It's the law. God expects it, but you don't have it for whatever reason. Maybe you spent it on last week's bread or you bought some milk or you bought some fish or maybe you had to pay some taxes to the Romans that you owed. But as you approach the temple, you recognize you have nothing not a shekel to your name. And now everyone is looking at you. You're you're expected to pay it. And it's obvious that your hand and your money bag are both empty. I want to leave you standing in line at the temple just for a little while. But don't be afraid. I'll come back for you in just a few moments.
After God delivered Israel from 400 years of captivity in Egypt, he established an interesting covenant with his people. In fact, in Deuteronomy chapter 28, you have this list of incredible blessings that God promises his people. The only catch is that in order to receive the blessings, they have to perfectly obey every single commandment that God gives them. But if they did that, then he promises you're gonna be blessed. You're gonna be blessed in the city. You're gonna be blessed in the country. You're gonna be blessed when you sit down. You're gonna be blessed when you stand up. You're gonna be blessed when you go to Walmart. You're gonna be blessed when you go to Dillard's. And all it takes is perfect obedience to every single commandment that God was giving them. Of course, the flip side of it was, if you break even one of these commandments, now you're subject to the curse. In fact, you'll be cursed when you stand up and you'll be cursed when you sit down and you'll be cursed when you go into the city and you'll be cursed in the country. You'll even be cursed at Walmart, if you can believe that, if you break just one. See, God was establishing the currency of his kingdom and the currency of his kingdom is perfection. We use words like holiness or righteousness. But the principle is this, without the right currency, I can't fully participate in the kingdom of God. I can't enjoy the privileges of the kingdom like blessing and favor without the right currency. Here's the problem, and Paul identifies this in Romans chapter three. He's very specific about it. He's quoting from the Psalms when he writes this in Romans three and verse 10. He says, as it is written, there is none righteous. No, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. One translation says worthless. In other words, we simply don't have the right currency. He says there is none who does good. No, not one. I'm sure that we can see the problem today that the currency is perfection, but God says no one is perfect. And because we don't have this elusive currency, we cannot claim on our own to possess all the privileges of the kingdom of God. And yet, amazingly, many people do just that. A survey that has been repeatedly taken over the years on many streets in the United States of America, in malls and at gas stations, all reveal very similar results. When people are asked if God should allow them into heaven or should allow them to have a relationship with him, it's interesting to see what currency they offer to him. They'll say things like this, I'm basically a good person. Or, well, I'm, I'm better than other people. Or, I, I do good things. I mean, I, I go to church. Or things like this, I, I don't do really bad things. Or this one, I do more good than bad. As if relationship with God, our enjoyment of a heavenly home one day is based on whether the good in our life outweighs the bad. It's like God's currency is gold and we're bragging about pockets full of monopoly money. So if the currency of the kingdom is perfection and we don't have any, what is God's answer? One word grace.
You know, I think we often confuse the concepts of mercy and grace. So here's a way to possibly keep them separate. Mercy is when God does not give me what I truly deserve. Grace, on the other hand, is when God gives me everything I need, even though I don't deserve it. Most believers are familiar with the words of Paul in Ephesians 2, but I want to read these to you. Ephesians 2 verses 8 and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Listen, we have no problem believing that we were saved by grace, that there was a specific point in time when the hand of God reached into our lives and rescued us by his grace. We can easily admit that we didn't deserve it, that we didn't earn it, and in some cases, we weren't even asking for it. Listen to the words of Paul in Romans 5. He says, but God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So before God saved us, we knew our lives were, were worthless, that they were unprofitable, that we were spiritually broke. So it was fairly easy for us to grasp the idea that the only chance that we had for an intimate relationship with God was the grace of God. But think about this, as necessary and as powerful as the grace of God is every moment of our lives, something about life, something about human nature we tend to forget all about it. So in the next few moments, I wanna remind some of us, and maybe for some others, I wanna share something brand new that will change your life forever. Like the four points of a compass, four points of grace, something to lead you home when you're lost. The first point of grace is this, grace comes from God. Whatever this wonderful thing is, that's called grace. The Bible is clear that it originated in God alone. Listen to Psalm 145 and verse 8. I love this psalm. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. He is slow to anger and he is rich in love. If that doesn't describe your God, then maybe your God isn't God because God is gracious. So listen to the words of Romans chapter five and verse 15. It says, but God's free gift is not like Adam's sin. Many people died because of the sin of that one man, but the grace of God was much greater. Many people have received God's gift of life by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ. One of my favorite verses about Jesus and his connection to grace is John chapter one and verse 17. It says, the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Listen, grace is God's idea. My idea is work harder. My idea is try harder and it's never enough. If you look around the world today and you take a survey of all of the religions that man has come up with, every single religion involves human effort and our straining and striving to get better. But grace comes from God. Let me give you the second point of grace and that is that grace is a gift from God. Not only does grace find its origin in God, but he gives it to us as a free gift. There are no strings attached. There is no price that you could pay that would impress God. In fact, even if there were a price, you don't have the currency. 
because he doesn't accept dollars or even good works. He only accepts righteousness and holiness and perfection and purity. And so there's no work that you could perform that would cause God to owe something to you. In fact, if you did receive grace that way, then grace would no longer be grace. That's what Paul said in Romans 11 and verse six. He said, and if God chose them by grace, it is not for the things that they have done. If they could be made God's people by what they did, then God's gift of grace would not really be a gift. Paul specifically uses a Greek word here for grace to stress there are no strings attached. Romans 3 and verse 24 says, all of us need to be made right with God by his grace, which is a free gift through Jesus Christ. Okay, so it's a free gift. I get that. God want, you know, there's this, there's this gift out there for, that God has for me, but does he really want to do this for me? I mean, do you understand who I am? Do you understand what I've done? Do you understand all of my imperfections? Listen to Isaiah 30 and verse 18. He says, the Lord longs to be gracious to you. Gracious, full of grace. In other words, God has everything that you need and he longs to give it to us. But is, is that something that you can admit? Is it something that I can admit that I need something, that I need someone, that I need anything at all? This flies in the face of Western culture. In fact, let me give you a few verses out of the sacred text of Western materialism and individuality. You already have these verses memorized, so you're welcome to finish the verses with me if you want. Here it goes. Verse one, we make money the old-fashioned way. We earn it. Or verse two, there's no such thing as a free lunch. Or verse three, there's no pain without I think I got that backwards. There's no gain without pain or this one. God helps those who help themselves. Let me give you the more accurate version of what God wants you to understand. God helps those who can't do one single thing for themselves, and he does so just because he's a gracious God. Let me give you the third point of grace, and that is that grace is for everyone. Everyone. Earlier, I read to you the accounts written by Matthew and John concerning the two cleansings of the temple. But let me share with you from Mark's account of the second temple cleansing because it contains a revelation about the inclusive nature of God's kingdom. Mark chapter 11 and verse 17 says, Then he taught them, saying, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer? Watch this. For all nations. Mark is actually quoting Isaiah 56 and verse 7, and it's a prophecy concerning the future day when all men would be given access into the presence of God. This is the revelation. Who you are doesn't matter. Rich, poor, female, male, Jew, Gentile, everyone needs the grace of God, and God has made it available to everyone. Romans 4 and verse 16 says this, the promise is not only for those people that live under the law of Moses, it is for anyone who lives with faith like Abraham. Or Romans 10 and verse 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You can search the world and you will not come across one person who doesn't need the grace of God and you will not find one person who is prohibited 
from receiving the grace of God. It's for everyone. No matter your genealogy, no matter your socioeconomic status, or your educational background, or your criminal record, it's for everyone. Grace is the free gift of God, and anyone who believes or has faith will receive it. Let me give you one more, and that is that grace is forever. I, I know my own weaknesses and my own struggles. I know when I make mistakes, and to be honest with you, there are some times when I think grace is forever or at least until the next time I make a mistake. But God says, no, grace is here to stay. Grace is forever. In fact, he speaks in eternal language. Listen to this, Romans 6.23, that the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord, eternal life. Grace makes life with God last forever. So think about the four points of grace today, that grace is from God, grace is a gift, grace is for everyone, and grace is forever. there you are. You're standing in line at the temple. You know that the temple tax has to be paid and it can only be paid with that Jewish half shekel. And you don't have it. You know you don't have it. But that's when you feel a tug at your sleeve. Your first impulse, of course, is to run. But you know you won't get away with it. The temple tax is the law. It must be paid. And so you turn to see who's grabbing your sleeve and you look into the most startling eyes that you have ever seen. And it seems like this stranger can see into the dark corners of your soul where all of the shame and the guilt and that irritatingly persistent feeling of insufficiency reside. And he slips something into your hand and smiles and walks off into the milling crowd. You, you try to call after him. After all, you don't deserve whatever it is and you certainly can't pay him back. But you finally look down into your hand and you see that he's given you everything that you need. That's grace. I'm not perfect. So he gives me his perfection. I'm not holy. So he gives me his holiness. I'm not righteous, and so he gives me his righteousness. I have nothing, and so he gives me everything. That's grace. And I wanna share that with you in a particular picture from the writings of Paul in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 21, where it says that God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God 
in him. It's like we changed clothes. It's like I gave him the clothes of my sin and he gave me as a free gift the clothes of his righteousness. And so now if my faith and my trust is in Jesus, every time God looks at me, he doesn't see my imperfection. He sees his own perfection. He doesn't see my lack of holiness. He sees his holiness. To him, I have the currency because he gave it to me as a free gift. So you know what that means? If you've had a struggle approaching the presence of God, if you feel like you're not worthy, if you feel like you never measure up, that you're always making mistakes, if your faith is in Jesus and if you've accepted the free gift of his grace, that's all the currency that you need to be bold and confident when you come into the presence of God as his child. In fact, this is what the writer of Hebrews said in Hebrews 4 and verse 16. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence. One translation says boldness so that we may find the mercy and the grace to help us in our time of need because God has freely given us perfection and holiness and righteousness by his grace, we now have access to every privilege of his kingdom. And guess what that means? It means you're blessed when you get up and you're blessed when you sit down and you're blessed in the city and you're blessed in the country. You're blessed at Walmart and you're blessed at Dillard's because the grace of God is upon you. I wanna to pray today for someone who maybe you've been struggling with this concept and you find yourself slipping into the trap of human sufficiency, trying to make it on your own, trying to fix yourself, trying to come up with your own solution and God is standing with his hand extended offering you the free gift of his grace. I wanna pray for you today. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you, God, for this free gift that you have offered to us, something that we could never have earned, we could never have deserved, but you gave it to us freely because you love us and because you long to be gracious toward us. I pray for every person that is listening to this message right now that has struggled receiving the free gift of your grace because we are so aware of our imperfections. Thank you, Father, for looking past those and giving us the, the gift of your grace so that in your eyes, we stand holy and righteous and perfect and can confidently come into your presence. I thank you for all of these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen and amen. <laughs> 